Miss the show, no worries on point and on the podcast. Aaron O'Toole says when it comes to climate change, he's in charge and he's got a plan that won't include a carbon tax. We talked to a doctor whose child with Down syndrome was told to isolate that child for two weeks. The letter he wrote to public health telling them no and why he feels it's so dangerous. And he also weighs in on the dangers of vaccine delays. We'll also talk to a couple of guys who got really bored during the lockdown and came up with a new hobby that involves fishing, just not for fish. It's more like for trash that can often turn into treasures. Let's get talking. What's your point? You just don't ever get the point. Am I getting through to you? That's the point. Do you understand? There is a point. That point where enough is enough. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Listening. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. I've been around for a long, long year. Stole many a man's soul and faith. This is On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. In the past several, uh, in the past few weeks, we've seen different studies come out showing that the uh, response to the vaccine, to the first dose of the vaccine, in people who are uh, in the elderly, in people who are immunocompromised, is actually not that good. It's uh, and it wanes uh, quite rapidly. So as a result, the very people that we want to protect the most uh, require a, that we give them the second dose uh, using the shorter interval, originally as, um, as done by the manufacturer in the clinical trials. Playing politics with vaccine delays is putting our most vulnerable at risk. So why are we letting politicians get away with it? Hello there, Alex Pearson with you on this Tuesday, March 23rd. And a great Tuesday to you. A lot of nice spring weather ahead of some uh, wet stuff over the next couple of days, but we'll take it. Over the weekend, I was actually had a nice chat with an elderly elderly, uh, gentleman over at our park where he told me, I just got vaccinated. And he was uh, very excited, if not, you know, very relieved. And then I kind of pointed out, well, until you get that second shot, you're not actually fully vaccinated. And he kind of said, well, something's better than nothing, right? I don't know, is it? We've got a growing number of scientists, including now Canada's chief science advisor, Dr. Mona Nammer. That's who you heard off the top of the show. And she's now warning that without the second shot in the proper time frame, we're actually posing a bigger threat to those who need the most protection. And the go-to line for the Trudeau government has been that everyone will be vaccinated by September. But let's read the political fine print when it comes to what his version of vaccination is to what the experts say. I mean, Pfizer has stated several times it does not support delaying the second shot. And their vaccine is 89% effective with one shot. But the problem is the longer people wait for the second dose, efficacy drops significantly. There was a study just out of the UK that came out yesterday saying that those with cancer only get 37% protection with one dose. And Canada is the only country doing this. We're the only country delaying second shots by four months. And that alone should raise, I think, many questions of our politicians. And it's not. I mean, why? Why are we allowing politicians to experiment with vaccine delivery to score political points? 
I mean, it's one thing to space out shots in younger people, but those who are over 65 or with a compromised immune system should not be having their shots delayed, period. And that is why the, you know, chief scientist of Canada and a growing number of scientists are pushing back and saying, look, this poses a threat not just to herd immunity, but we are risking the virus becoming resistant to vaccines. And we know this political. We know it's political because you'll recall just last week, Dr. Quash, the head of Canada's task force, told our uh, conservative Michelle Rempel-Garner that the only reason this is happening is because the Trudeau government didn't secure enough supply. Would you have made that recommendation if there had been more supply of the Pfizer vaccine? Of course not. But, but you wouldn't be making that decision had there been supply of the mRNA vaccine. If we had had enough vaccines to vaccinate all Canadians quickly and at least those most at risk with two doses of vaccines, we would not have needed to extend the interval. That's for sure. That's for sure. Why do we constantly set the bar so low in this country? Why? I mean, if the province is to get every Canadian vaccinated by September, then what that actually means is two doses in the approved 21-day time frame. You know, all we ever hear from these politicians is that the decisions are being made based on the very best science. That's all we hear every day. I'm listening to the experts. I mean, you deny climate change, you're denying science, they preach, you know. So why then are we allowing politicians to get away with throwing that science out the window so that they can cover their political hide and avoid accountability on vaccine failure? It's an experiment at best. And if not, then show us the data. And they can't. Because there is no data to tell us what happens if you don't get vaccinated in the prescribed delivery date. We are starting to get some, and what it's showing is that efficacy drops right off the longer you wait. But that's about as much as we get. So it is a political decision to make it look like people are getting vaccinated. So when you get your first dose, remember, you're only partially vaccinated. And I'm not so sure we should be just settling for one shot when the promise is we'd all be vaccinated by September. All right, we got a very busy show. We're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about uh, Aaron O'Toole will be on the show with me tonight at 8 o'clock. Uh, we got the announcement today that the Trudeau government's going to table its first budget since March of 2019. And, of course, uh, Christia Freeland saying it's the most consequential budget of our lifetime. So I asked Aaron O'Toole, you ready to go to an election? Because it is an election budget. We'll tell you his answer. Coming up next, though, interesting discussion with an immunologist who has... <laughs> He was ordered to isolate his child who has Down syndrome because a classmate got a positive COVID test. 14 days of isolation. We'll talk about what he told public health they could do with their order. I also asked him, uh, I'll ask him about the vaccine delays. Um, but really, he wants parents to understand that the, some of the decisions they're making on quarantining for kids is not scientific. It's cruel. So we'll do that and more. Stay with us here. Alex Pearson on point, And this is Global News Radio. We are going to make sure we address the needs of Canadians in 2021, and that means we're going to make some changes and have stronger and clearer policies as we, we grow the confidence of Canadians in the next election. Uh, climate change is an important subject that Canadians want to see that we have a serious plan on. We will have that. 
Well, that was Aaron O'Toole, leader of the Conservative Party, just this morning, and he has stated a few times now that uh, climate change is no longer a debate, and he will have policy to address it. And during the weekend uh, in the convention, there were party delegates that voted against changing the language of climate change. They didn't vote against climate change policy, which already recognizes climate change. They just didn't feel the wording needed to be changed. Aaron O'Toole has not yet released his plan, but he does make pretty clear it's not going to involve a carbon tax, albeit that decision might actually be made for him on Thursday when the Supreme Court rules on the carbon tax issue involving the provinces. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole joining me now, and it is finally good to have you on. It's great to be back, Alex. All right. So I kind of saw a puff of smoke go up from question period when um, Christian Freeland announced that there's going to be a budget coming in April. Um, But before we get into possible election over uh, a budget, um, there will be people in your party, certainly in in conservative circles, that will disagree with you that the debate on climate change is over. But you do need a plan if you want to compete in this election. And you've pretty much made clear that you are the leader, you are in charge. How are you going to then find the balance of addressing climate change without alienating parts of the base? We will do this, Alex. It's an important issue for me as a conservative. I said conservatives, we're the party of farmers, hunters, anglers. We respect and live off the lands and waters. We should we should try and preserve for our kids. So as a father, it's important to me as well. So we're going to have a plan to rebuild our economy post-COVID while also working to get emissions down in a way that's not shutting down sectors of our economy, as Mr. Trudeau tries to do, not taxing small business and single seniors as the Trudeau carbon tax does. It will be trying to partner with the provinces, get emissions down on a timeline while focusing on getting people back to work. We're taking the time to get it right, Alex. It's important to us, and we'll take no lessons from Mr. Trudeau, who tripled the tax he said he would never raise. So he, he he makes it up as he goes along and is failing in that just as he is on, on the vaccine deployment and everything else. Climate change has been a big talker, certainly in media circles. But when you look at the polling, it is not the most important issue to Canadians. It has dropped down to fifth or sixth. The economy and health are still the top priorities. However, when will um, we see some policy on climate? Because other leaders have tried in the past to get a plan uh, that will be scrutinized. When do you expect to put a plan in the window so people can see? Well, we're working on that right now, Alex. It's clear Mr. Trudeau's posturing for an election. Um, You know, they finally announced the budget. As you said, they're well over two years past. They've spent more than the rest of the G7 countries on the economic response to COVID and have the worst outcomes in terms of employment. So Canadians deserve a plan, both for economic reopening, job creation. That's what we're putting there. And we will have a plan to reduce emissions as well. And just as you said, my priority is that we need people working in all sectors of the economy and in all parts of the country. That will be my focus. But we will also have a plan for the environment and other important issues facing Canada in 2021. You have talked about a five-point recovery plan. You went through it uh, on your speech on Friday, talking about, as you mentioned, securing one million jobs within a year, uh, the anti-corruption uh, part of your plan, which um, would address a lot of these scandals that have kind of gotten a blind eye with this current government, pandemic preparedness. You talk about strategic stockpiles, uh, homemade vaccine plans, economic balance in 10 years. Um, economic balance in 10 years for a lot of conservatives is a real tough pill to swallow. Well, and you forgot an important element. 
the, oh, I'll, the get, I'll get to the mental health. Yeah, I will get no, to the mental health. I didn't want to forget. I will get to that. Okay. No, it's important. <laughs> a plan back to balance, Alex, is, is reasonable because in the short term, we're going to have to help some highly impacted sectors like tourism, like small businesses, thousands of which, and I spoke about this day, today in the House of Commons, are holding on by a thread. Many of them family-owned businesses in Mississauga and Brampton and in Ajax. We need to make sure that they can survive to thrive afterwards. Two-thirds of Canadians work for a smaller, medium-sized business. So that will be a focus. And if we get people working and take the emergency spending down in a reasonable time, we can get back to balance while keeping taxes low. Mr. Trudeau's already looking at taxing your house, taxing everything. We will keep taxes low. We will focus on getting the economy moving, and we will get our budget back to balance over the course of a decade. It's a, it's a reasonable plan, but it will be a plan to get our finances under control. And you do talk about a mental health action plan. Is this a federal plan? I mean, if there's one thing we've all learned during the pandemic, mental health is uh, virtually non-existent as a plan in this country. It has affected every Canadian during this pandemic. Are you looking at launching a federal mental health plan? Well, we're going to have a mental health action plan that will be national, that will have components of partnering with the provinces in some areas. It will also look to create mental wellness programming for employees, working with employers to provide that. It will provide a number of other tools, specifically a national three-digit suicide prevention hotline. This is an area that I've worked in since I left the military, Alex. You probably know my, my, my work with veterans and, and first responders. The more we can provide help mental, for mental issues early, the more people can, can be well, get, get to work, save their marriage, avoid the drifting into addiction and other things. We've seen mental wellness really decline from the isolation of this pandemic, which is why today conservatives are asking for a plan to reopen the economy. Now that we're getting vaccines, we need rapid tests. We need to have a plan to reopen like other countries do. I have heard from a lot of listeners who say, why is Mr. O'Toole not fighting against these lockdown measures? As you know, Ontario, certainly the GTA and Toronto have been held um, under lockdown longer than any other area in the world. Um, and why you haven't been more vocal. I understand as opposition, it's been very difficult with the way the, uh, the you know parliament's running or not running right now um, to get out there and, and to get your message through. But, but your position on the lockdown measures, I mean, the, a lot of conservatives wonder why, how could it have gotten this far for so long? Well, last fall, Alex, some of my first questions in the House was to roll out a national program of rapid screening and testing. That would have allowed us to do what some other countries have done quite effectively. Taiwan, for example, using rapid testing to actually keep parts of their economy open. Trudeau failed on that. We were six months behind other countries. And by the time they got some, there was no federal leadership and the provinces were then into the second wave. So that will be a key part of it, as is a plan. Once people are vaccinated, particularly seniors, we, there are less risks for the vulnerable. So we've said we'd like to see federal plan as the vaccines roll out to reopen. It's important for small businesses. It's important for people struggling to be able to go to church, to see their grandparents, to go to their rotary meeting. Everyone wants to maintain safety, but we never have a plan with Trudeau. He's, he's always three or four steps behind. He makes it up as he goes along. So we're actually debating this today, Alex, but we have been fighting for rapid tests and other tools to keep the economy open since I became leader. 
The vaccines are an issue, though. I'm hearing from more and more scientists. I talked with one earlier in the show. Um, I've heard from several doctors who are pushing back. We've heard from the chief scientist uh, at the federal level that these four-month delays with the, the, the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine is a dangerous um, decision because it's not backed by data. Why are we not hearing more about that? I know Michelle Rempel-Gardner has talked about it, but again, it is, it is not... If it, it's not a it's not a truth to say people are vaccinated if they're only getting one shot. You're 100 percent right, Alex. In fact, the prime minister, Mr. Trudeau, is putting seniors at risk with this policy. I raised it today in the House. He, he spouts off his little lines about we follow the science. Well, your chief science officer said what you're doing is reckless, essentially. And why are they doing it? The great work Michelle Rempel Garner has done she was able to get confirmation that the only reason they're doing this, the only reason Canada is the only real country in the world doing this, is because Trudeau's late on the vaccines. We're way behind, as you know. So now they're actually not even following the guidance of the manufacturer of the vaccine, and they're playing games with with wellness. And And as we said, we only have verification of the efficacy and safety of these vaccines when they're used as prescribed. So this is this is what they do. They change the rules to cover up their own incompetence. We're holding them to account. You'll see more of that continue, Alex. And I think Canadians deserve better than the government that's been two steps behind at every stage of this crisis. I want to make sure we lead in the economic recovery and no one gets left behind. That was the theme of my speech. I only have you for a couple of minutes, so I'm going to try to get a couple of other issues in China. Uh, the two Michaels have had whatever that uh, process that they go through is. It was not a trial. It was a kangaroo court. We don't know the verdict, but we did see the Trudeau government um, enact some of the Magnitsky uh, sanctions along with the U.S., U.K., EU. Um, you know, it's a good start. What will you do to address China, uh, given they're getting much more aggressive with every move? Well, as you know, Alex, we've been asking and I've been asking for those sanctions for well over a year, actually. And um, we've we've said we should not be permitting Huawei into our 5G uh, uh, infrastructure. We're the only Five Eyes allies out of all those countries you mentioned that hasn't taken that position. I'm glad the government has actually followed the U.S. lead on terms of sanctions. But Mr. Trudeau still won't recognize the genocide that all of all of the House of Commons adopted unanimously, except Trudeau, skipped out. Can you imagine we, as I said in my speech, we led the world fighting against apartheid, and Mr. Trudeau wouldn't even show up when it came to a genocide in China. Would you go further in enact, enacting more sanctions? Would you issue things like travel bans? Would you support boycotting the Olympics You know, for our athletes? I mean, we can't not, not act anymore. You're right. About two months ago, Alex, a month and a half ago, we, we said the, the Olympics should be relocated. We don't want our athletes to suffer. This could easily be done. Look at how much pivoting we've done to events and, and things in, in the pandemic. We can do this smart to make sure the athletes don't suffer. I think there should be export and import restrictions for goods that come out of Xinjiang, um, a region that uses internment-type uh, labor practices. We should not be uh, selling those products here, and that should be traced, and the Magnitsky sanction as well. But we'd also like Trudeau to formally recognize what our House of Commons did. And our initiative, the Conservative initiative, has now been followed by several other parliaments calling the genocide for what it is, uh, a terrible act that the, the world should call out. The communist regime in China thinks it can operate with impunity. We should, we should send the signal that our values aren't for sale.
Without question, I think people were taken off guard that um, Christian Freeland said uh, set a budget date, but it is two years. It's long overdue. We have no idea where spending is. The uh, parliamentary budget officer has questioned, um, you know, tens of billions in spending that he can't account for. And she has called this the most consequential budget uh, of our lives, uh, you know, of our lives. Without question, this is a budget that could take us to an election. Are you ready for an election? Well, the NDP has already said they're supporting the budget whenever it comes. So Mr. Trudeau is trying to position things. He's delaying support for small businesses hanging on by a thread. He's delaying tough decisions. He's changing the rules for vaccines to try and make make it seem like things are going better than they actually are. I think Canadians see through this. I don't think it's time for an election when we still have lockdowns, when when uh, businesses are hanging on by a thread. But we will be ready, Alex. I, I as you know, I'm former military. You plan for all uh, all eventualities. We have a strong team. We now have a recovery plan that we're going to communicate to Canadians. And rather than having a prime minister under constant corruption investigations. It's time to have a prime minister who can actually take charge and make sure Canada leads. And that's what they'll be doing. That's what I'll be doing with our conservative team. So is there a way that you would support this budget? I mean, given that we are expecting over $100 billion in spending that hasn't even been allocated? Well, our main concern with, you know, two years with no budget is at the same time, Minister Freeland has been asking for a massive increase to the borrowing limit, up to $1.83 trillion at a time they're not even telling people what they're going to do. And they've already built in about $100 billion of contingency. Just what are they planning to do with taxpayers' money? What are they trying to do to to burden our children even more? All support should be focused and time-limited on job creation, saving businesses. This is not the time for this Trudeau reimagining of the economy or build back better. When they say that, that means a small group around Mr. Trudeau will pick and choose which businesses, which jobs, which workers they help. We need every cylinder in our economic engine firing jobs in all sectors, all regions. That is what we will do. And we have an ambitious one million jobs in one year plan to get, to kickstart our economic recovery. Stay tuned. All right. I know I'm over my time with you, so I appreciate you giving it to me. And we'll chat again, Mr. O'Toole. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. That is Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole joining us here tonight. And so I tried to get as much in as I could. Here on point, Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio. Why are we still hearing about child quarantines? Um, You may recall a couple of weeks back that Peel Region were telling parents that if their child comes into contact with someone who might have COVID, that they must self-isolate for 14 days. And the policy got such severe blowback, they walked it back because of its sheer stupidity, not to mention its cruelty. And yet it's still happening. A Guelph immunologist was recently ordered to lock up his son, who has Down syndrome, for two weeks because a student in his class had tested positive for the virus. No special consideration given. Just isolate this child from all human contact. So instead of doing that, his father, Dr. Bridal, wrote Public Health a letter stating that not only will his child stay home, but he will be loved and cared for because to isolate any child... It's pretty much downright cruel. Dr. Byram Bridal joining me now. He is an associate professor of viral immunology at the University of Guelph. And doctor, I guess you'd be pretty qualified to uh, to talk to this issue. 
Uh, hi, Alex. Yes, uh, thank you for um, having me on to speak about this. My older son, when we were sitting at the family table at dinner um, discussing the, the policy that had been uh, um, given to us, the directives that had been given to us by our local public health unit, my older son commented that, uh, that you know, why, why are we being asked to put his younger brother into solitary confinement? And I thought it was an interesting take because I, I really don't see a difference between the definition of the two, honestly. And indeed, it asked for uh, a 14-day duration from the last time that our son had been in contact with a child who had been uh, apparently tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, for 14 days, our, our son, uh, in theory, is supposed to be in confinement in a room. And, uh, and, and none of us in the family are to go within two meters of him and uh, and we're supposed to wear masks if we're ever uh, anywhere in the vicinity. It, it doesn't make sense from a couple perspectives. So I felt I had to speak up because, first of all, uh, as a father, um, you know, as a parent, this inherently is wrong treatment of children. I, I personally view that kind of treatment of, of uh, a young child as being abusive. And, and I, I, I'm shocked that public health officials would be asking parents to do things that, that they feel is abusive to their child. Um, I'm, I'm simply not going sure. to be forced into a situation uh, like that where I'm doing that to my child. Um, as you mentioned, my child also has uh, Down syndrome and there are no considerations mm -hmm. are, are given in these policies to any individuals with special needs uh, whatsoever. Um, and the other thing is, is uh, also, again, from a scientific perspective, we're doing this to children who are showing no signs or symptoms of sickness themselves. Uh, and the other thing is, is we always talk about these uh, issues, it always comes down to cases, 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 right? Um, we have failed miserably. Uh, I would say our government has failed us miserably and constantly defining cases and only cases, uh, just using that broad generic term. I mean, if you have a common cold, that is a case of an infectious disease, an infectious respiratory disease. Most of these cases, especially in children, especially in our young children, we're talking about elementary school age children here, they... The, the, the SARS coronavirus 2 is no more dangerous for them than the annual flu. In fact, scientifically, one could argue that the annual flu may be more dangerous than the SARS coronavirus 2. Uh, SARS coronavirus 2 um, kills virtually no young children. The annual flu does. We actually lose uh, several young Canadians every year from the annual flu. This is a fact. So it's no more dangerous than that. We don't go into annual lockdowns, or certainly we do not ask parents to impose these, uh, what I would call, abusive policies upon our children every uh, flu season. In fact, you see many children being sent to school, and, and many, you know, we, we Let me just step that. in here, though, because, I mean, you're a parent who is educated and certainly was willing to take a stand. There are a lot of parents out there that will just think, okay, this is what I have to do. So what, what would your message to them be? Because there are other jurisdictions, I'm sure of it, that are probably giving this advice. Uh, yes, you're absolutely right, Ox. And that's another reason why I, I felt compelled to, to, to stand up, because the issue is, um, and what, what I'm finding is people, we all, we all have our own areas of expertise, and certainly uh, the vast majority of Canadians don't have deep expertise in the areas of virology and immunology. And from that perspective, then, people often feel afraid to speak up, even when they feel that something is inherently wrong, right? They feel there's going to be severe re repercussions. Uh, they feel that they might be publicly shamed if, if, it, if it seems like they don't know exactly what they're talking about. But in this case, I think most parents would say inherently, this does not feel right to treat my child this way. 
but they're feeling pressured, very much yeah. pressured by public health officials. And I have openly challenged if, if, if a public health official wants to try and enforce this policy within the confines of my house, we are respecting this policy beyond the confines of our house, right? We are not having our son for, for the two weeks play with, with his friends on the street and so on. But within our house and on our property, we are providing him with the same love and care. Um, yeah. And I have challenged people to, if a public health official wants to try and enforce it, first I would ask that they show us where in the Canadian Charter of Rights they feel they have the right to force a parent to impose what, again, what I would say is essentially abuse upon their own child. And, and the other thing I should mention, also from an expert opinion, uh, I, I recently penned a, uh, a lay article about a very underappreciated aspect to this whole uh, pandemic. And this issue of uh, isolation of very young children that it, right. when they are in a classroom with somebody, a, a fellow student who tests positive, it highlights exactly the, the problem that I've raised, which is our immune systems, this has to be really well understood, our immune systems develop when, while we are young children. Uh, most of the development of immune systems, so the, our immune systems are quite immature when we're born. They are not fully mature. Our immune system mm -hmm. doesn't actually fully mature until into, well into adolescence. And most of these, uh, uh, this maturation immune system occurs between birth and six years of age. And so these are children that are being captured by this policy. And what we know is when these children are removed from, the, from their natural environment and from interacting, especially with other family members, their immune systems don't get exposed to all of the microbes that we have to live with throughout the rest of our lives. And it's very important that as young children, they, their immune systems get educated within the context mm. of their natural microbial world. If they are isolated from this microbial world, that can promote the, uh, the acquisition of all kinds of uh, immunological disorders, including severe, they'll have a higher propensity towards mm. severe, developing severe allergies. Uh, towards developing severe asthma and developing autoimmune diseases. And these are things that we are probably now over a year into our severe lockdown policies as, as a population and implementing these even greater isolation policies upon young children. This, we're, we're setting our, uh, many children up to suffer for the rest okay. of their yeah. lives with some of these immune disorders. Let me just throw this in because I don't have a lot of time up against the clock, but I do want to throw this because you do have an expertise in it. There's a, an, a, you know, a growing conversation. I talked about it off the top of the show with this extending of second doses of four months. A lot of people, uh, scientists are, are pushing back saying this is not data driven. It's a political decision and it's dangerous. What are your thoughts on it? I agree 100%, Alex. And in fact, I have written an open letter about that as well, which uh, has been sent out to as many government officials and media outlets as I can. I, I thank you for raising this, this issue. Your listeners have to be uh, acutely aware of this. There is an important history here. Uh, the, the science that led to our National Advisory Council on Immunization to make the recommendation to extend these intervals, is, it's, it's based on what I would say at best is pseudoscience. It, they yeah. took uh, a data set that was never designed to look at the effectiveness of our vaccines as a single dose and used epidemiological modeling in which a bunch of assumptions were plugged in. And we don't have the data to say whether these assumptions are correct or incorrect. But long story being short, the conclusion, the conclusion that was drawn is based on incorrect science. In fact, uh, Pfizer, it was their data that was used to justify this. 
They actually, and this was uh, published in a letter to the editor of the New England Journal of Medicine. And yeah, just a couple of this weeks. was not peer-reviewed. And the company themselves published a rebuttal side-by-side side with this saying you cannot do this. Alternative dosing regimens have not been tested. And I want to tell you this. There's uh, data that's just, come, uh, that's just coming out. It's hot off the press. Uh, one showing, in fact, that for the Pfizer vaccine, now this hasn't been peer-reviewed yet, but I have conducted my own peer review of the article. That's what I do as a scientist. The core data set seems quite valid. And this research coming out of Germany uh, that's been posted online shows that the Pfizer vaccine does not confer protective immunity following the first dose. Um, so it's actually so there was no empirical data on one side or the other, which is why scientists were saying, let's go with what we know, which is the right. given intervals. But worse, for the Pfizer vaccine, we now have data that actually shows that it is not protective after a single dose. The scientists of this publication have clearly stated, do not alter the interval, because if you okay. lengthen the interval, you are leaving people unprotected with this vaccine. So by extending the interval to four weeks, especially for the Pfizer one, we now know we are going to be leaving people unprotected for a prolonged period of time, and that absolutely is not right. These protocols should not be changed. We have to go with what we know works and works well, and a three-week interval for the Pfizer vaccine and a four-week interval for the Moderna vaccine confer very high levels of protection. We have no data to suggest how they are going to perform beyond that. And like I said, for the Pfizer vaccine, we right. even have data now suggesting it will not work. All right, there you go. A lot of information, and I'm glad uh, I was able to ask you about it because it is becoming a hot topic. Dr. Bridal, I appreciate your time on this. It was my pleasure. Thank you. That is uh, Dr. Byram Bridal. And look, I didn't call him for the interview or to talk about that issue, but he just happens to be an expert in this field. So Alex Pearson on point, and this is Global News Radio. We all know that this pandemic has forced a lot of us to pick up new hobbies just to uh, keep our sanity, whether it was bed, bread breaking, bread breaking, bread baking and breaking or hiking. Um, my next guest decided to pick up fishing. It's just not the kind that involves a uh, hook and a fish. These guys were so bored, they decided to buy up a high powered magnet and they take it to Lake Ontario and other bodies of water to see what they can pull out. And now six months later, they're known as the Sludge Pirates, where they go around to different areas of uh, Ontario's water and pull up other people's trash, I guess, hoping to look for a treasure. Neil Gervan and Evan Saba are the Sludge Pirates. They join us now. Good to have you guys. Hey, Alex, how are you? How are you doing? I, well, i got to be honest. I, I think this is so neat. Um, oh. <laughs> I don't know how you guys... I mean, this is more popular than I realize. It's popular in other countries, places like the UK, where they uh, find things like grenades and that. But uh, oh, how yeah. did you stumble across this, Neil? Um, well, basically what happened was it, it's exactly that, is that it was had to do with COVID. There was no question about it. It was a COVID thing that came out of COVID. You know, we were, um, you know, we're actors normally, and we weren't working because we were shut down at home. So we weren't doing anything for three months. And then Evan, uh, Evan one day sent me one of these videos from Britain of these crazy English guys using magnets to pull up relics out of canals. And uh, I know I it's... Thought, yeah, so we just thought it was pretty crazy. We thought, like, oh my, oh, oh my God, what, what, what is this? And just became interested in it, like everybody else. And then, so, just as soon as they lifted it a little bit, the COVID restrictions after three months, where we, you know, we could kind of get outside for a little bit, that's what we chose to go do. We, we got, you know, magnets from um, Amazon and went out and tried it and got addicted. 
Yeah, that's neat. I mean, Evan, when you look at it, the, the magnets are kind of like a little bit bigger than a hockey puck. I assume you can probably get bigger magnets, and I'm sure that those who are really, really good at this probably have huge magnets and go out and trawl all over the place to get it. But, I mean, what are some of the more interesting um, things that you guys have found, and what areas of water do you look in? Uh, well, mainly uh, these days we're looking along the harbor front because a lot of that water there, you know, ships have been coming in and out for about 200 years in some parts of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we can find a lot of old things. And um, some of the more interesting things, we, we find bikes. Uh, we, we literally pulled out a bike where Neil jumped on and rode right away because yeah, only down there for about two weeks. And we find uh, some, other, some other interesting things. Knives always have a story behind them. You wonder why a knife is in the water. And, uh, yeah, there's just a lot of interesting things that you can find if you just give it a little bit of time. Your magnet is powerful enough to bring up a lot of stuff. So, you know, just try it. And see yeah, what I would have to think, I mean, it's not the most expensive hobby, but you could probably, Neil, find some very interesting artifacts if you if you find the right spot. Um, I mean, there was one find in, in the UK where they actually pulled up a body with a, a handcuffed man. I'm sure you don't want to find oh, that. Boy. But there are, a lo- there are a lot of things hidden in cri- from crime in waters. Have you ever stumbled across that stuff, Neil? Well, here's the thing. You don't know. We don't know. Like when we find a knife, okay, we haven't found a gun or anything. That's usually almost always crime, mm-hmm. right? But, uh, but when we find a knife, it, we, we don't know. We don't know. Like we found a knife that uh, the handle had been cut off. So, so just the metal part mm-hmm. was there. It was clearly cut off. And, you know, we found it in about 40 feet of water. But it was also, you know, over 40 or 50 years old. And so you don't know how it got there, what happened, or what's the story behind that. Like, you know, was it a murder weapon? Maybe. But we just don't Did know. you turn it over? Yeah. Do you turn that over those, to police? Those, type, those types of things, no. No, no. We, 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 uh-huh. we have them. Like, we have them. So when we have them, we have a videotape of them and all that kind of stuff. But anything like a, anything like a gun or a weapon or a potential grenade or anything like that, automatically we call the police, yeah. Evan, I mean, you guys have a YouTube channel. So if, if anyone out there wants to see what I'm talking about and what these guys do, they're called the Sludge Pirates. You guys have a pretty big following starting to accumulate. Where do you see this going? I mean, I th- I think it'd be a, a really fun way to spend a day because I'm I'd be very I'd be somewhat terrified of what I'd find, but somewhat very curious as to what could be found. Um, but where do you expect to take this, Evan? Uh, we actually we're actually just writing it out. We have we don't really know exactly where we're taking it, but um, so things are kind of pushing us in a direction where we're starting to sort of see, you know, what could be done with this channel. Um, so we're just gonna we're just gonna keep producing it. We're gonna keep making stuff because it is a lot of fun. It's very much very similar to just fishing. You know, you go out, you enjoy your day. The sun is shining. You throw your magnet in. Maybe you'll find something. Maybe you won't. But it's just about a lot of it. The fun. You know? And will you, Neil, go to different bodies of water? I mean, do you stay particularly in like the Don Valley area or Lake Ontario, or do you plan to like go see maybe the Trent Seven or maybe Welland Canal? I bet you could find really cool stuff from the ships <laughs> through the Welland Canal. Well, a lot know, of iron what, ore, probably. <laughs> what, what we've what we've found out is that we can go to a certain area and literally take out a ten foot area and be there all day long. Because oh, wow. the history the history goes down every every foot down into the muck is another hundred years, right? So mm-hmm. you just don't know. So we have our, our sweet spots. We like to go and, and check for things, but but generally, yeah, we do go to different. We, we because what happens also too is we actually think <laughs> we actually think about our viewers. 
You know, we're like going, yeah. okay, look, they don't want to see us at the same place every <laughs> every week, you know, so we have to, we switch it up. But yeah, we also, there's other people, as you said earlier, there's other people that are doing this in America and in Britain, and they want to do uh, co-pros with us uh, once oh, cool. the... Um, you know, once the uh, COVID restrictions lift more. And so, you know, we've got friends of ours, uh, you know, in Kingston and in Michigan and, you know, in the States and Windsor. And so we want to go and do shows all around there, right? And also, also, you know, show off those areas a bit. And, and at the same time, just, uh, you know, try to find stuff and show the audience, you know, what can come up in these types of places. I think it's very neat, and I know you guys are also cleaning up what you find, and uh, if you need a good scrap dealer, I'm sure I can find you one. Uh, but I think it's really neat, and um, and I I think I just, I'd never heard of it, and now I know, and I'm kind of just very intrigued. But uh, I appreciate you guys joining us. Oh, no worries. It was a pleasure. Thank you very that much, Neil. No, thank you. I, I, I might take it up as a hobby because I'm, I'm totally into this kind of stuff. Neil Gervan and Evan Saba, they are known as the Sledge Pirates if you want to take a look at them on YouTube. Um, and boy, I'm sure they find some really interesting things, but it'll be a fun way to spend the day. You, of course, can join us Monday through Friday live starting 630 sharp here. Alex Pearson on point. This is Global News Radio.